Time is racing by, isn't it? It always begins to fly at this time of year. And sometimes it can be flying by so fast with all the preparations being made on so many levels that we can kind of lose ourselves in the midst of it. It's not surprising that children are focused on five days. It's not surprising at all. That's the way it's uh, meant to be for them at this time of the season to a particular point in their life. But I think it also can be a countdown for other things for those of us who have been around longer, a time when we can reflect on the promise of hope that we have in our hearts, what it is that we actually hope for and who, it, who we actually are as the children of God. Celebrating that Apostles' Creed and knowing that it came down through so many centuries ago is just amazing to us in this day and age in which we live. While many people are, are frantic about their shopping, about their traveling, about uh, family gatherings, about sharing the feasts and homes, exchanging gifts and buying that special gift for special people and see how with anticipation we, we yearn forward to the time when they receive that gift and hope that we have managed in some way to express to them how much we love them and how much we want to share that moment with them and giving them something as, as a small token of that love. In this Christian year, we try to celebrate Christmas in, as a part of the pattern. There's a reason why Advent becomes at the beginning of the Christian year, because the church has struggled for many, many years in many different kinds of expressions to be the people of God. And I think that as Christians, sometimes when we are not as dutiful as we should be about reading the scriptures and putting them all together, that we can kind of adopt a New Testament faith that is kind of separated from the faith of God's people for many years before. We can kind of forget the thousands of years that went on since God created the first man and woman and placed them in that garden. We can kind of forget how many years it took for God to bring us to the place where God thought it was actually time for God to be able to truly do something for us once for all time that would make a difference in the rest of time. It seems so complicated, and we struggle with it at times. And so we have the Christian year to lead us through remembering that. In fact, they have divided it into a three-year cycle in liturgical churches and worship so that we read the, the story from birth to death to the teachings of Christ that follow every year, and we live it out. Now, our calendar does not coincide with the calendar on your wall or on your desk, but it coincides with the, fa- the faith celebration of the life of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and the life of the church that came from that. So when we think about that and we think about the Christian lectionary or the scriptures that are divided to support our reading and study of the scripture all through that that same cycle, three years, year A, B, and C. This year we're in year C as we begin Advent reading from the first part of the book. Now, if you've ever been... Study a student of the lectionary, you know that those scriptures are put together by some folks a long time ago, and, and I, I would like to argue a lot with them about scriptures they leave out and strict scriptures they repeat, scriptures that they use. But truthfully spoken, um, the script, scriptures are organized in such a way that when we embrace the whole of them for three years, we will have celebrated that cycle, if you will, of faith that is represented by the life of Jesus Christ. If left to ourselves, there are a lot of passages we would never read, right? I'm reading one of those today. Actually, Cindy's already read it. 
I would never preach at Christmas on Hebrews. It just wouldn't happen. It's just not the book I would go to to tell the story because it's a different kind of passage and a different kind of time for a different kind of people. And yet, it is so relevant to us as we approach Christmas today that I decided to give it a stab, to give it a try, to write it down and make myself do it. That's one of the purposes of the lectionary. Otherwise, preachers would pick about a dozen passages of Scripture and preach on them all their lives. Yeah, you know that, right? Uh, If you ever follow a preacher from one church to another, take your notes with you. They might still be good. You know that because when a preacher pulls out a sermon and starts preaching and the illustration is 30 years old, you think it's time for them to retire, right? Yes, I remember that well. When I think about this text and what it says to us, I I had to take a step back. And I had to go right away and turn to Luke and read the, something about Christmas. I needed some Christmas fix, you know. Here we're di- diving off into a sacrificial law and understanding the sacrifice of Christ and understanding the atonement, something that Christians, quite frankly, just don't agree about. So what shall we do? I say let's look at the two texts and just soak it in. Let's look first at the first one. This miraculous conception of John the Baptist who was the messenger, and this miraculous conception of Jesus, who was the message, occurring in a space of time related to one another, so much so that something we recognize for other purposes, when the two women met, the baby leaped in her womb. It was the first time she felt the baby move, and we would just say, well, she's at so many weeks, right, in all our scientific glory. But the scripture in those days, was written to say, John met Jesus. And the two mothers were drawn together from that day forward. And the baby leapt in her womb. And then they burst forth into the praise, first of Elizabeth, and the scripture reading stops short of going into the Magnificat, where Mary pours out her praise and and love for God, that he has honored her, a lowly servant, to bear this child, this man named Jesus. Then when we have that out of our background and we're firmly entrenched that we're almost there, the babies are coming, and yes, we're going to celebrate that on Thursday night, we get to this passage. It's not even an easy passage to understand. I know you heard it read and you understood what that person interpreted in English to say, but it's a very tough passage, and it deals with an either tough concept, and I think one that is appropriate for us to delve into at Christmas. You know, Christmas has become the favorite religious holiday of our country. It's a lot more fun than than crucifixion, right? I mean, it's a lot more fun to come on on, uh, Christmas Eve and and gaze at the baby in the manger and ooh and ah and think about how much God loved us, and that's exactly what it means, than it is to go to the cross and kneel at the cross and go, my sin caused this. They truly have the same message. They truly both say how much God loves us. But we feel differently about the impact of one and the experience of it than we do the other. Now, what is really being addressed here is a sacrificial system that the Jewish people had held on to for so many years. It had undergone changes along the way, disappeared when the temple was destroyed, only to be reinstated. And then it had become confined to the temple in Jerusalem during Jesus' day and not much elsewhere in in the Jewish community. It had turned to synagogues. But at this point in time, 
it was still there and it was still in the mindset of the people. They still understood and believed, despite what the psalmist has said in Psalm 40, which is quoted here in this Hebrews passage. Despite that, people still clung to the idea that the sacrifice of a, the best bull or the best sheep or the best lamb still had some kind of significance for them because that was a part of the law. And they had fully understood by this time that when you don't obey the law, bad things happen. You know, the nation gets destroyed. The temple is leveled. Priests are scattered. It appears that God ignores you for years and years and years. At least that's the way it seemed in their minds. The problem with this is it all wraps around the idea of atonement. Now, people can give you a simple definition for atonement, but the problem with that is that when they define atonement in a simple way, they're only giving you the definition of one understanding of atonement. And there are at least six and maybe seven theories of atonement in the Bible expressed by Scripture and a part of what the Bible tries to teach us about atonement, about making offering for sin. So when you talk about atonement and you talk about sacrifice and you talk about, you immediately run to the place in today's world where people want to go, now, help me with this. I never forget the young man, I, I've forgotten his name, but I, I never forget his face. He was, a, he was a military young man. He'd just gotten out of the military, but he'd survived and, and thrived there to a certain extent, going to base chapel where all kinds of different faiths were experienced as Protestant or Catholic church when he went there. And he came, though, to the church and he started hearing preaching that he struggled with. And so he asked me uh, to come and explain to him why he needed to be saved. He said, come to my house. I want to ask you a question. That's the first question he said. I don't understand why I need to be saved. Saved from what? I'm a pretty good guy. I'm not perfect, but nobody is. We say it all the time in church. What do I need to be saved from? And for a young preacher fresh out of seminary, that's like throwing raw meat to a bulldog, right? I thought, well, how long do you have? And he says, as long as it takes. And I said, let's begin at Genesis. And so we did. And I went through the whole thing in about 30 minutes, all through the gospel as it unveils itself in Scripture. And at the end of it, I looked at him and I said, well, are you more confused than ever? He said, no, I think I kind of get it. God hates sin. As I recall, and I said, yes, I said that clearly. And the trouble with us humans is we can never live up to what God created us to be because of the power of sin in our lives. No matter how hard we try, we will never be Jesus. And he said, I get it. I understand. Thank you. We talked about a number of other things when we left. But I come back to that story to say this. Understanding our sin is something that is fallen out of favor in current cycles. We don't like to talk about sin a lot. We don't like to talk about going somewhere where God is not when we die if we don't, aren't obedient people. But you know what? The Bible makes it a very strict point to say that God has a problem with sin. And God is a just God. A just God. 
Sin had to be paid for. And this is where atonement just drives us crazy. You mean somehow that when a goat was killed, God was happy with that person because a goat laughed his life? It sounds that way. And there's, a, there's a, one of the theories of atonement that directly looks at that. It's a kind of a pardon and a, and a, a release kind of thing. It's a very judicial kind of concept. But it all boils down to there had to be a payment for the penalty of sin because sin... Uh, condemns us to separation from God. And from the moment Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden, garden has been trying to resurrect the relationship that was lost because of the willful disobedience of his people. The rest of the book is about that one problem. Now, some of you are probably thinking like I think all the time, how could it have taken so many years to, to solve that problem? Why didn't he just send Jesus the second day? I don't know, you can ask Jesus that when you get there. You might want to ask the Father, or you might not. I don't know. Your pick. I don't understand why it takes so long for Revelation to unveil either. I understand it from the perspective that it's, it's progressive. It took humanity a long time to uh, be able to get to the place where they could understand deeper things. We are not simply here today because of who we are in our years on this earth. We are here today because we have been built upon the civilizations of thousands of years of human beings who have been seeking a relationship with the one who put them on the face of this planet. We are trying to understand, and we've always been trying to understand, and it's always difficult. And the idea that Jesus had to die in order for me to be forgiven is a little bit repugnant for me as it is for many people today. Jesus had to die. He had to suffer and bleed. All the scripture had to be foretold. What is, what's what's up with this God? Now that's where we get in trouble. It's what we start questioning what's up with God. There's just a few things in the world it's best for us not to do. Not to pretend we're God is the first one. We have no clue why God did what God did because we are stuck in this human body, in this human earth, and we can understand only to a certain degree This really disturbs very educated, smart people. They don't like that idea that they can't understand God. You know, it's not a a miracle that women are always the first, it seems like, to respond to God in Scripture. You've noticed that, right, men? Come on, admit it. Who is it that's just chairing most of the committees at church? Who is it that's been faithful in the long haul? It seems like uh, w- women do that much easier than men. Why are men so hard-headed? Let's ask the women. Oh, we haven't got time for that. We can't do that. Then we'd be here all day. I mean, I got a simple answer, and it's built on generalities, so if it doesn't apply to you, please ignore them. Simple generalities. Women are more emotional in their normal, everyday response than are men. You know, what that means is that men think themselves into trouble. We want to hold God to a, a standard of being logical according to our minds. God just can't get that small. I mean, men who want to force God down to their level, God did his best when he wrote the book. It's his best effort, and quite frankly, it's his last effort, other than personal relationship, to tell us who God is. That's as good as God can do in our language to get us to understand what he's trying to arrive at. Now, let's be clear. What he's trying to, to arrive at is to have a people who love him as much as he loves them. That's where God is headed. 
And the sacrificial system of goats and bulls didn't get us there. They still were not faithful. They still didn't yearn to obey the law. They made it a legalistic, spiritual, religious tool so that they could be holy by simply obeying some laws without the relationship, without the feeling. Does a church give in to that today? Sometimes I think the church does. We all know that the real way to be holy is to come to church on Sunday morning to give a gift and to come back next week. Really. That's really it, right? I mean, we've got that clear. And you've heard me talk about it a lot, right? It is necessary. But it should be an expression of what we feel, not a duty we check off and then turn around and go home. I'll give you a perfect example. Last night, I watched a game that explained the human condition on TV. I did. Because I'm a cowboy believer. And I believe they stink this year mostly. But they tried so hard I couldn't turn them off. And I turned it on just because, you know, there's that faint chance they could win three in a row. And then, what, it's the first quarter or somewhere they brought out the midget quarterback. And he was so calm, I thought he might have been David. You know, like David and Goliath. He was so calm, not overly endowed, but so calm that I just was kind of fascinated watching him every time he came to the field. Now, I wanted to believe, I wanted to believe, and I was a fan, but I was a quiet fan because I really expected him to get beat in the end, which they managed to do again. But I really watched them to see what they were doing, and they were playing very, very hard. They were trying with all they had. I, don't, I can't understand why everything's gone against them this year, but I saw no give up in that team. And it brought me around to the end just to stay there until we actually it was over. I didn't stay up for the interviews because I didn't want that to mess it up. But sometimes we're like that with, with Christ. We come to church to cheer Christ on, and then we walk out the door or turn off the set, and we're done with it. And that's not why Jesus is coming Christmas Day. This is a time and a place when we gather for worship, when we praise God, when we hear stories of faith. It's a time when we sing praises to his name. It's a time when we pray for one another. It's a time when we are the body, a part of the collective body of Christ, come together to worship and to remember that we needed God to come to us because we are sinful. We make mistakes. We are willful. We want our own way. We need to learn a faith that is more about being responsive to the call of our God than it is about dutifully checking off boxes. I say this right before a new set of officers will take over in the church. I say this right before we begin a new calendar year and the church kind of revs up again. I say this knowing full well that the law is important and that the spirit of the law is more important. I say this to know that Christ needed to die for my sin, but that is not the primary motivator for God. Judgment is not the primary motivator for God. Jesus didn't come, first of all, to be our judge. In fact, in John 3.16 that they read at the Advent wreath today, the Goodrich family read, it says God came not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. We understand judgment is important, but we need to understand that the grace and love of God always supersedes the judgment of God, 
always supersedes the judgment of God until the end of time comes. And we need to live that way too. We need to live with that understanding of our dealings with others in our world. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it talks about the reason that Christ came to the world. He came to reconcile humanity to God. There was a wall of sin between us and God that made it difficult for God to reach us. It made it difficult for us to respond. It made it difficult for us to fully understand that God's love was meant to engage us in a loving response in return. We all suffer from separation issues in that sense. Whenever something goes wrong in our life and when we act out in a way that we know is not what God would want, we feel distant from God and we should. That's what sin does. It distances us from our creator. What Christ came to do is to break down that wall that separates us from God with his own precious blood. He came to fix what was broken. Jesus came to rebuild what had been destroyed. Jesus came to recover what was lost. Jesus came to make peace between us and God and even among us. Jesus came so that we might understand who humans could be. Flashback to the manger. Who's laying in that crib? God. That's what we say in the Apostles' Creed. People who are driven by science laugh at us. Virgin birth? You got to be kidding. Kidding? No, I'm not kidding at all. You don't believe? That's your problem, not mine. I have chosen to believe. Can I prove it? I don't need to prove it. The world has proven it. And this man, Jesus, who walked around and lived a life that no one has before or ever since. Jesus was able to fulfill the law and so therefore became, if you will, the sacrificial gift that appeased God's wrath. That's what one part of atonement says. But he also, in his dying, didn't just appease God's wrath, but it gave us a love letter written in his blood saying, I love you and the Father loves you this much. We just don't stop often enough to understand that. We shortchange Jesus and we shortchange our witness of the Christ in our life because we've claimed our place in heaven and we get busy with the world. And we know our sins have been forgiven and we tend to skip along, I'm afraid. It's just human nature. Things are going well, you know. It's like home. Things are going well and then you forget to buy a present for your wife. (laughs) Things aren't so well anymore, right? You know, you, you get busy, you're too busy to go shop for her. Or you go do what I'm going to do. I do every Christmas. Sally's already shopped and done all the buying, and she's still got some more buying to do because this year she taught school again during this last Christmas season because somebody wanted her to. I don't remember who that was. Better for me that I don't remember. So now she gets to go with all the other crazies and shop a little more. But it doesn't matter how much she shops. I will go and shop too, even though I've been told not to. I just will. Because they have to have something over the top from me. They have to. I have to have some part of me involved in that. 
I have to give because they mean so much to me. Now, I, I, I temper that with men's logic, but still I have to go. Will it be fun? Yeah, it will be kind of because I love people, and there's lots of weird ones out there walking around now. They're just everywhere, and you can just sit down, and you can see the angry ones, and you can see the happy ones, and you can see the ones who only like one gift and those who have ten to buy. You know, you can see the frantic looks on their faces, and you can see the people who get in line, and, and they're in the Christmas spirit, and then you see all the others who aren't, and you drive to get there. It's dangerous in Frisco. There are a lot of people who are shopping, and they drive strangely, but still... It reminds me of how many people there are in our world who remember Christmas. I'm really through this morning. I don't want to speak too long about this. Jesus came to empty himself to give his life. And it says right here in big capital letters, this is love. And so it is for us. Real humans are the people who give themselves away in love. They're never perfect and they never will be. Nor are they those who are quick to judge others who are having an imperfect moment in their life. They are quick to love and quick to forgive. They are quick to respond to need of those around them. You see, they live to give themselves away even as Jesus lived to give himself away to them. God's unmerited grace and faithfulness to God's own love for humanity is always stronger than his need to punish us. And so should ours be. So should ours be. Judgment does not ultimately destroy us, and it never will. Because God's grace and God's love goes beyond justice I say it again this is love soak it in let it define you and your life will be forever changed Heavenly Father if there are those this morning who do not know this love stir in their hearts the desire to know you to walk with you to receive the love that you've offered them in Christ. If there are those here this morning, Lord, who know you but who are trying to follow you and are making a mess out of it because they're trying to do it alone, let them know that there's a church here, a family of believers here that will embrace them and include them and walk with them through all the difficulties of life. Bless us, Lord, as we worship this day. For those who need to respond, let them come. For those who just need to come to the chancel to pray, let them come as we stand and sing our closing song this morning. Lord, we sing it to you. And we sing it to the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.